0: the panhandle news network the views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the panhandle news network wepm and wcst or west virginia radio corporation welcome to panhandle live on the panhandle news network wepm and wcst Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg.
1: And it is Panhandle Live for this 23rd day of October, 2023. Luke Wiggs, Marsha Kovalik, hanging out with you on a Monday. And we've got a lot to get into as this show progresses, but we need to lead off the show by welcoming back Marsha Kovalik, who uh, spent a majority for a weekend in the great state of Tennessee Marsha welcome back and hey. uh, how was uh, the last couple of days for you
2: it was gorgeous um, my best friend moved down there so we did a lot of antiquing and she had she's this is the way my friend is she had she had pre-visited some of the places she made exhaustive lists of places we could go and it was just perfect um I will say I was there <clears throat> on on Saturday and uh it was game day <laughs> and I was in a suburb of Knoxville so like it, it was just a sea of orange. And as I was heading out of town, I, I told you the story off, off mic, but um, I was in this filling station, and they had this huge, big-screen TV up so the workers there could watch whatever, and they were watching the game. <laughs> and as I, I was getting ready to do, do my transaction, two people separate times walked in, you know, and they happened to just look up at the screen and, and and the the look on their faces—it looked like their dogs had died, because it had looked like Tennessee was going to win the the first half.
1: They were up twenty to seven at the half,
2: and that was just crazy. They outscored
1: twenty-seven to nothing in the second half.
2: And I'm like, you know what? It's probably a good time to get out Knoxville. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. oh, well, either way, it would have been a good time to get out of Knoxville because if they would have won. I mean, the streets would have been flowing. Yeah, uh, certainly. I,
2: I'm sure you're right. Um, so, but and I'll wow. tell you,
1: the, the streets were flowing here in Martinsburg and Shepherdstown over mm-hmm. the weekend, not just because, of course, of the apple harvest festival, but people celebrating the uh, first career NFL start of one Tyson Bajan. That's did you amazing. get to see any of that content? No, but
2: I've been I've been listening to and uh, looking at some of the headlines. It, you know what a great so the the thing is, he has played. He mm-hmm. did play. Uh, for the team before, but it was preseason stuff. But this is his first start, which right. is significant, right?
1: Absolutely. And he played very well, made a lot of people proud, uh, I'm sure. Uh, those of those of us that knew him from uh, his time at Martinsburg High School, the Shepherdstown, then he went to the Senior Bowl, didn't get drafted, concerned some people, signed with the Bears, won the backup position in the preseason over Nathan Peterman and P.J. Walker. And uh, his first start ends with just the second victory of the season for Chicago. So, you know, it was uh, it was a, a fun and eventful sports weekend, and if you missed any of the conversation we had about it, uh, you can find that on our Parent Handle Sports Live episode that'll be posted here in just a, a couple of moments. But uh, we've got some pretty major headlines that we want to hit on here uh, in the first segment as well, Marsha.
2: I will say, I t- I took a mini vacation and and everything started. All the news started happening, all it's, of it, and you you ended up having to go to a press conference. <laughs> uh, you know, the judge getting shot in Washington County. Uh, tragic news, they have not located the suspect.
1: Yes, I- exactly. So for the people that aren't familiar with the story, it broke Thursday night of last week, and then more details were released as Friday went on. Uh, the, the shooting of a Washington County Circuit Court judge and Andrew Wilkinson, uh, who was 52 years old, they identified a suspect. There was a press conference that was held uh, in the city of Hagerstown on Friday I was able to attend uh, where they in- 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 ID'd the suspect as 49-year-old Pedro Argote, um, and uh, said that the manhunt was underway, and uh, with him still not being fouled, there's a $10,000 uh, reward for anybody with information leading to the location and the rest of, uh, of, of the suspect. Now, law enforcement had asked areas uh, residents to avoid the area around uh, Williamsport and CNO Canal, the towpath, Saturday during the search. I'm going to ask you kind of a dumb question, Marcia, because I've only been here for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But for those of us that aren't exactly familiar with that area, can you kind of expand on its location? A little so more? they
2: they found they found the suspect vehicle yeah. near Williamsport. And so they were like, hey, you know, armed and dangerous, be on the lookout, just be really vigilant. So if you cross the border uh, on 11 uh, and you cross over the Potomac river, mm-hmm. you're kind of right there in Williamsport and, uh, you cross over part of the towpath. So that towpath, remember, is just this little trail. We bike it, we, we can walk it, you know, uh, you, horses search sometimes on it, but it's a throughway, right? right. Um, so they were looking in some specific places around neighborhoods in Williamsport. And obviously the canal is a big, you know, big concern because if someone is armed dangerous and, and presumably desperate, um, and just innocent folks are there, just enjoying their day, um, that could end badly. Um, so they were letting folks know, be very vigilant in the area. Uh, they did an exhaustive manhunt, and and found nothing, which led them to conclude. Now this was on Saturday right. that they located the vehicle. the The shooting happened Thursday. Um, it led them to to conclude that perhaps he was not in the area anymore, like in that that direct area.
1: Uh, well, of course, and again, for people again that weren't familiar with the shooting that happened on Thursday, uh, and then more information that was uh, delivered um, by the Washington County Sheriff's Office on Friday, uh, they believe they've they've isolated the 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 action of this incident um, to a case that was argued or presided over by uh, Judge Wilkinson, uh, a divorce hearing in which custody of Mr. Argote's children were uh, given to the woman in the case. And uh, they believe that to be the cause of the shooting. Now, um, they went on to say, "People with information on Mr. Argote's location, you can call one eight seven seven one two two, or that's eight. Oh, I'm sorry, one eight seven seven nine two six eight three three two. And you can also submit tips online um, as well to the U.S. Marshals, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, or to
2: the you can obviously call Washington County Sheriff's yeah, Office and, too.
1: and that number is 240-313-2170. So uh, yeah.
2: Right now, there is a ten thousand dollar reward uh, reward for actionable information leading to the the location and arrest of the individual, <clears throat> and so you know it is ongoing. Uh, there are other subsequent uh, pieces of information out there that say he he might have ties to other states like North Carolina, New Jersey, or excuse me, New York. Um, so you know if if he had that kind of lead lead time before they really established him as a suspect, that gives him time to get some places.
1: Absolutely. And uh, we'll continue to update that story here uh, and along our family of stations. Uh, one more kind of lighter thing I wanted to touch on because we have a, a couple other things I wanted to get to, because I mentioned our family of stations, Marcia, and uh, our family uh, has gone through a little bit of a change. 92.9 WXDC has switched away from uh, contemporary country mm-hmm. music to classic rock. I uh, I forgot the switch was happening last night. Of course, we've been uh, bombarded with, with emails mm-hmm. about the change, and we weren't sure when it was going to happen. I remember when I was driving in, just in time to catch the last sixty seconds of uh, Long Train one, Running by the Doobie Brothers, <laughs> which is a great way to come into work. Pull in and then and, and turn it off mm-hmm. right, right at the crescendo at the end of that song. Uh, so for those of you that are familiar with 92.9 X C C, it's now changed to Cool 92.9.
2: And if you if you're familiar with our radio station over there um, on Radio Station Road, uh, the, the building's got a little bit of a face. Facelift and a little paint job. It's it's a white building now with blue lettering. Yep. Uh, I drove over there after Apple Butter Festival. <laughs> Just I, I looked at the outside. I <clears throat> I don't have a key, uh, so I didn't go in, But I'm sure it's it's been fabulized on the inside too. Um, but lots of cool things happening, and I know there's a lot of energy going into that station. Um, also, speaking of apple butter, I got into town with enough time to enjoy a little bit of apple harvest. Mm. We went over to the fairgrounds and saw. A bunch of people I knew. Um, the vendors were out there. We we ate food truck food. Uh, the only disappointment, Uh-oh. and there was one. So my husband made a point. He he wanted to make sure he he scheduled time out of his day. There was a lot going on yesterday for him. Made a point to get over there to get an apple pie Ooh, on Sunday. Yeah. Unfortunately, those apple pies got sold out on Saturday. And poor Edward. I know. Just I felt so bad for him fortunately, though, the good Times show car was there with their um, dumplings, and so we we picked up some they had a dumplings. fallback
1: option were the dumplings good?
2: Uh, I didn't have any, but everyone in my family, two girls and my husband I think did we've had them before and they're they're delicious, but I also had to run out and get ice cream because
1: can't have apple dumplings without i ice mean
2: cream. I, it's probably okay it's <laughs> probably allowed it's probably not illegal but
1: legally right I, I regret to inform you that. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, um also a sad uh, yeah. note out of Jefferson uh, County, apparently three students from Jefferson uh, Jefferson County schools, excuse me, have died by suicide since the beginning of the year, not all at once but since the beginning of the year. That's just dreadful on any level. one is dreadful. Um, and there's a story over at panhandlenewsnetwork.com about uh, the the school system's response to it. They're having a, a meeting today. To make it an, an item of discussion, they, you know, their efforts continue to try to make things safe and, um, you know, take care of some of those issues that f- kids might be experiencing. But obviously, you know, the school system's one element; they they can't hit everything. Um, so anyway, stories over at panhandlenewsnetwork.com.
1: And like you mentioned, there's a community meeting at Washington High School today. Uh, it's going to be happening at about five o'clock uh, when Jefferson County School is getting involved. You know, mental health uh, with our youth is is certainly something that becomes an ongoing you know, an issue and a, and a tough issue to tackle. I mean, I know I struggled myself in high school and especially during the pandemic the in college. The COVID years exactly. just,
2: just were just dreadful for kids. And, you know, I never had to go through this, but you've got a constant social media yep. presence there in your, in your pocket. You know, if someone says something ugly to you, you can go back and read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. You can read other people's responses about it where they pile on. And uh, it's just so easy to get despondent.
1: But um, our our thoughts, and for those of you willing, our our prayers are with the the families there in Jefferson County schools. And uh, I hope this is a situation that can hopefully be resolved as we continue to try to help uh, the students in not just Jefferson County, but of course all across the state of West Virginia and all across the country um, uh, tackle the the, the certain issues that come with uh, students' mental health. But we've got a break to take here on Panhandle Live. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on WEPM and WCST.
0: You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs.
1: Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival building on this uh, Monday edition. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville online too at CountryRoadsTire.com today. A little bit of a split interview we've got now, Marcia, with one guest joining us in studio and one via the magic of telephone.
2: That's right. So uh, joining us in studio is the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of the Eastern Panhandle. And via phone is the unit director for the Jefferson County Boys and Girls Club. That's Monica Addison. Welcome in to both of you. Good morning.
3: <laughs> Good
2: morning. Good, Good morning. So it's a big deal. And um, I'm not sure who wants to start, but the 25th anniversary celebration and open house is coming up for the Jefferson County club.
3: Uh, what does that mean for you guys, Stacey? So being able to say that you've been in existence for 25 years is a great milestone. And the club, um, the club chartered in 1997 um, under the guidance of some wonderful board members who were our founding board members. Um, Gary Chicker um is a, is a name synonymous with mm-hmm. Jefferson County. Um, Maureen Terrio. Um, Karen and John Marr. Um, John since passed away, but just a phenomenal, phenomenal man. And um, and then, um, of course, uh, Mr. Tolbert, um, who's who's passed away. You know, it was really under their with their guidance that they recognized that Jefferson County needed a place for young people to go after school and in the summers where they would they would be safe. And um, and it's 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 just been such an incredible journey to watch and and to also be part of. So has the
2: Jefferson County Club always been in the same physical location?
3: It has not. It started at the Episcopal Church in Charlestown um, in their gymnasium and um, in, in their recreation area. And it it moved from there to there were two um, portable units that were on the property uh, right there where um, our, our club is located now. And the club started as the old paint building for Dixie Narco. And when Maytag purchased that property... They donated it to um, what was then focused, the Focus Coalition, um, and they the the mission of the Focus Coalition was uh, free our community of unwanted substances. So that was um, their their primary or their primary objective was really to um, work in the field of prevention. And what better partnership than Boys and Girls Club? Absolutely, and, and keeping kids engaged in something very positive is obviously a key.
2: I want to bring Monica into the conversation. You're the director of the Jefferson County Club. Monica, how long have you been affiliated with the Jefferson County Boys and Girls Club?
4: I've been affiliated with the Boys and Girls Club for
2: um, almost two years now. And so what is, what's a typical day like in uh, the Jefferson County unit?
4: As soon as our uh, kids arrive at the club, uh, they're greeted at the door by their mentors and they get a chance to decompress uh, a little bit after a hard day at school. Uh, We do serve them dinner and snack uh, daily and um, we uh, have club activities that they really enjoy. And uh, they have an opportunity to do their homework with help from our mentors, but we do encourage them to uh, to try and do their homework on their own.
1: Uh, well, Stacey, could you expand on that a little bit? Then, so it's you know, it's not just a, an, an opportunity; it's not just a, a, a daycare. Exactly, right. we I mean, do not provide
3: and... babysitting. That's that's <laughs> really important to know. Monica and her team really take the time to get to know the kids. I always talk about when young people come to the clubs; they're not coming because of you know, the latest and greatest toy or game or, you know, things like that. They really come to see their person. Um, when they run through the doors, their their mission is to tell that staff person that it's been a great day or it's not been the best day. But, you know, hearing a staff person say, well, I'm glad that you're here um, because we're here to help you. I think that's really a special, a special moment. And that's what um, that's what Monica and her team really excel in is making sure that kids feel welcomed and comforted if they need comforting or um, cheered on if they've done something phenomenal.
2: It's different these days than it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, You know, kids often don't have someone at home um, right immediately as soon as school lets out. So it's good to have that supervision, obviously. But I always love, Stacey, that you talk about finding your person um, because that's the person who's going to encourage you, who's invested in you, interested in your, um, in your day, as you mentioned,
3: and in your growth. Absolutely. And I mean, Monica, can you talk a little bit about what you think the kids enjoy most about the club?
4: Well, Stacy, the one thing our kids enjoy most about the, about our club is that they're listened to. Um, when it comes to the activities they do, their preferences change often. But through uh, what we call pulse checks, our staff can plan activities that keep them engaged. Right now, they love spending time outside and hands-on activities, and that's what we're focusing on.
3: I love that you mentioned pulse checks because I think um, I think so many times when young people come in, they're just um, they're they're shepherded through and they're told do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Talk to me a little bit about when they when they arrive and you're doing a pulse check. What kind of feedback do you get? And I th- I know I'm throwing you kind of a zinger question there, but um, can you tell me like what happens during a pulse check? Um, they're
4: asked about their day, and if they had a really really stressful uh, day at school, we'll try to put a lot of um, choice activities. But how should I say there are guided activities that are outside and get the activities, get them to move around and uh, feel like they're listened to.
2: Absolutely. So, Monica, how many uh, children are in the club at any given time? You know, it's a it's a Monday afternoon. How many kids might be in the club?
4: Uh, Approximately 30 kids.
2: That's a lot. How do you guys? How do you guys manage? I mean, how many? You, you got to have some volunteers, right? It's not just you.
4: We do have uh, volunteers that are coming in uh, almost every day, and uh, three other staff members, except me.
2: And, and obviously, you're giving them help with homework. You're checking in on their day, and those snacks and and a little bit of dinner that goes a long way too, because some kids might go home to an unsupervised house and there's no food or they don't know how to make the food that's there. Uh, and so this is another way to, to help, you know, make their lives a little easier.
3: Yes, absolutely. Well, and I think for parents to have that, um, the knowledge that their children are safe. I know we talk a lot about safety in, in the current day and, and, like emotional safety is another piece, and that's something that we focus on, so that our young people are learning how to engage in an appropriate way and in a way that's uplifting to each other. When they come to the club, they become part of a club family, and I think that when, you know, when you're part of a family, you know, you get the you get the good with the bad, um, but you also learn to work through like. What What is the issue at hand right now, and how do we lift each other up so that we're providing some positive emotional support as well?
2: Unfortunately, over uh, last week, we heard that Jefferson County Schools, their community at large, had lost three students to suicide since the beginning of the year. We, we don't know the particulars of any of those um, incidents, uh, but each one represented a child. Each one represented a family that's now grieving and friends. Um, how How does that inform efforts that you do in Jefferson County
3: and around the Panhandle? Well, I mean, I think it's important that you know, I think the big word, the key word that you said was family. You know, wrapping wrapping young people up and and their and their parents into a family setting so that they know that they're supported. Um, you know, none of us are immune to, situations like suicide and when it's a young person it's heart I mean it's heartbreaking at any time but especially when it's a young person um, one of the things that we try to make sure that we do is connect to some kind of grief counseling if if that happens within the club Um, and and we do that really when when someone passes away that's been very close to our kids and our families Um, you know we try to encourage that um that process where they can they can talk about it and and process it on you know in a in a group setting as well as we
2: mentioned earlier in the show um jefferson county schools is hosting a meeting today as a matter of fact later this week on a happier note jefferson county's unit is having
3: its 25th anniversary celebration We are. We are. Monica, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the activities that are going to happen on on Thursday? And this event is on Thursday from 430 to 630. And it's going to be at our um, at our Jefferson County location at 334 North Lawrence Street. And lights on after school is all this week. So we wanted to celebrate um, this milestone in Jefferson County on the actual lights on after school day. So, Monica, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the activities that are happening?
4: I do not want to give out too much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really proud about what they're doing. But what I can say is that uh, they're decorating the club themselves. And um, the older kids will give tours to uh, our guests. And, of course, the guests are welcome to join the little kids. Uh, while they participate in a STEM activity or an
2: art activity, that's really cool. So you can kind of pretend to be a, a, a boys and girls club kid for you know even if you've yeah. outgrown it a little bit. We're all kids
3: at heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, do folks need to RSVP? They they do. If they could um if they could call the club at three zero four seven two eight three one four three and. Just let Monica know that they're, that they're coming. We want to have punch and cookies. It's not an, a big elaborate event. We just wanted people to come in. We want it to welcome them in, see what we're doing, and learn a little bit about what goes on in a day in the life of a club kid.
1: And for people that are interested potentially in volunteering or learning more about the Boys and Girls Club, where could they go to find more information?
3: They can go to our website at uh, bgcepwv.net.
1: Awesome. Very good. Uh, well, for Monica Addison, who's joining us via phone, and Stacy Roan in studio, uh, best of luck with the upcoming event. Keep up the great work, and we really appreciate you guys joining us this morning.
3: Thank you so much. It was great to be here.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Well, we've got a break to take. We'll have more Panhandle Live coming up in just a moment here on WEPM and WCST.
0: We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live.
1: Welcome back to Panhandle Live broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival building here in Martinsburg. Stay tuned because coming up, top of the hour, uh, Metro News Talk Line with Hoppy Kerchival will be underway. It starts at 10.06. If you missed any or part of today's show, our interviews uh, with uh, Stacy Roan and Monica Addison of the Jefferson County Boys and Girls Club. We're going to be posting this episode a little bit later on today on our Panhandle News Network uh, Spotify page. And you can also hear today's edition of Panhandle Sports live. Uh, which uh, concluded at 9 o'clock. We'll post that here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, I will stall no longer, Marcia, because we've got our (laughs) next guest joining us in studio. And we
2: want to give him a a good amount of time before the top of the hour to talk about this. I invited our next guest in specifically because, you know, I think we need to start telling more of these stories. Uh, If anyone's listened for a while, they know that I've had this big World War II itch that I've been scratching and trying to tell some of those stories regionally. Um, But, you know, we have so many vietnam veterans in our region in our listening area as well and we need to start really telling some of those stories as well and uh i think someone who's a good storyteller joins us it's former <laughs> jefferson county delegate and vietnam war veteran john doyle
5: welcome in well thank you uh it's wonderful to be here <laughs>
2: so t- tell me um how you how you got in inter- how your life intersected with the war were you already in the service at that point oh no
5: no i graduated from shepherd in 1966 and the war was heating up and so I uh I did uh, I said you know what I think I'm gonna I'm probably gonna get have to get shot at but I don't like this idea of sleeping on the ground I uh, I quit the Boy Scouts because I didn't like that camping nonsense
2: <laughs> well so, there are critters on the ground Dang. yeah
5: and dirt Uh, And uh, so I I tried first to get in the Navy um, and I was, uh, I had this massive ego. I insisted I had to be an officer, uh, which was really stupid. Uh, And (laughs) I, uh, i first tried to get in the Navy officer candidate school. And at that point they had gotten highly competitive. So uh, after uh, three or four times of being eligible, but not selected, uh, I tried air force uh, and, and the same thing happened there and that went for over a year, well over a year. Uh, and the local draft board uh, was very understanding about this. They would draft me. but as long as I had an application in to do something real, they would postpone the, that uh, induction for 60 days, 90 days and they would they kept on doing that. they kept stringing me out and and uh, I, I, I was, figured at some point they'd just grab me and send me. But I said, no. Finally, when the Air Force didn't come through, I, I went to the Army and immediately got in. Uh, and uh, as a candidate for officer for OCS, Officer Candidate School, went to uh, Fort Dixon, New Jersey, uh, March 7th of 1968 is, is when I entered, entered the Army, did basic training and then advanced uh, individual training, which was for infantry. Uh, There, So that was four months. Then I went to officer candidate school at Fort Benning, Georgia, was commissioned in January of 69.
2: So while this was happening, as you were making your way up the ranks, what was it like in Vietnam?
5: What were you hearing? Oh, uh, we didn't hear really much of anything when when you you were in basic training and advanced training and officer candidate school. It was just right there. It was just your training. You really uh, people who on the outside heard a lot more about what was going on than we did.
2: So you didn't know enough to really be f- afraid yet.
5: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I knew people were getting killed over there, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but but that was pretty much it. Uh, and so then uh, when I uh, graduated and and was commissioned. I uh, spent about six months uh, teaching patrolling for the Ranger Training Command uh, at Fort Benning.
2: Stateside, okay.
5: Yeah, and then two months uh, for the basic civil affairs course at Fort Gordon, Georgia, and then got to Vietnam uh, as a rifle platoon leader in, uh, in October of 1969.
2: So you, you say this as part of your biography, but mm. as a rifle platoon leader, mm. you know, how dangerous was that? Ah, uh, pretty. <laughs> I mean, talk about what it's as someone... upfront
5: as you can
1: get, <laughs> right?
5: And you're leading a group. Yes, that's right. I uh, they are my responsibility.
1: Well, huh? we'll talk about, I guess, uh, the unique situation you find yourself in in the, in, the, in the country of uh, in Vietnam, and you know the unique terrain. Of course, it's a lot different, I'm sure, than the weather you'd experienced here in the in the Eastern Panhandle. And, you know, uh, hearing stories from from veterans talking about, you know, starting the war with uh, the M-14 and then the M-16, which had a uh, proclivity to jam pretty easily. And all just the different obstacles that went with fighting an enemy that often you couldn't even see.
5: Well, uh, it, it's uh, there's several questions there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we trained on the M-14 in basic and AIT. Uh, by the time I got to, to Nam, we were only using the M16, and and uh, uh, I really like that rifle. Uh, the interesting thing is jamming. The, uh, that happened early on, and it was at uh, large part because they were using the wrong cleaning fluid. Mm. Once they once they developed a cleaning fluid uh, for those composite materials, it was fine. Yeah, that was the they were trying to use the same oil on the M16 that they used on the M14. And it's whole different uh, t- t- types of material. And, yeah, that was a lot of the problem.
1: Were you given one of the uh, the comic books, How to Clean Your Sweet 16, the, to tell the troops in the field to, to, to how to operate the weapon? I, re- I remember seeing no, a lot of those.
5: No, I, I do not <laughs> remember getting one of he those. He was probably in charge of distilling <laughs> that uh, information in a
2: non-comic book form. <laughs> yeah,
5: I just explained it to him. And, and they had been trained. By the time I got there, the, the, the soldiers had been trained on how to clean it, and we didn't have any problems with it jamming. So
2: let's it's- talk about... You know, and obviously, you know, a lot of veterans don't want to talk about some of the rough times, mm. but you know, what do you want to share about what your, your platoon mm. and you as the leader went through?
5: Well, the, back to a, a question that uh, Luke had. A, a minute ago. Yeah. Uh, the war was different in different parts of the country. Uh, I was in uh, I-Corps. Uh, we had these four Roman numerals, one, two, three, and four, north to south, and we uh, First Corps was actually called I-Corps. But where we were, we're in rice paddy country, very near the coast. And it was totally a guerrilla type war where we were. Uh, I was only in one really major battle. Uh, We got hit with a, a North Vietnamese sapper company. And I say, that's major for me. There was no, there were no battalion size engagements like there were in other parts of the country, like in the Delta and up on the DMZ. So Ours was much more uh, – I, I, we, I, we had all of these soldiers who had been trained to be infantrymen, and now they have to behave like uh, like police officers in a really rough part of town mm. because in guerrilla warfare, the guerrilla is part of the population, and not all of the population supports the guerrillas. Some of them did, some of them didn't, and you couldn't always tell. So you had to be really, really careful. Uh, and um, I, I remember a couple of times I had to make what I call my rocks and trees speech. Um, the, the idea that you couldn't see the enemy, and this frustrated these guys who'd been trained almost like they were going to fight World War II. Right. You know, and I, and uh, when I sensed too much of it, I said, okay, guys, we got to talk for a minute. I said, remember how our country was founded? We had the the, the 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 biggest and finest army in the world, uh, the uh, uh, trying to to defeat us and and keep us to be part of uh, of Great Britain, and all we had were 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 a bunch of uh, farmers and 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 uh, and hillbillies hiding behind rocks and trees. I said, guess what, folks? In this war, we're the redcoats. They're they're the colonists hiding behind rocks and trees, so let's just accept uh, uh, this is how they're going to fight because they know that's the best thing for them, and we just got to do the best we can. And everybody goes, "Oh yeah, I guess that's right." So, uh, yeah, and I had to make it again a few months later when a lot of those guys had rotated out, and right. and I had you know had about a dozen new guys in. A, a, a platoon in the army then was thirty three. Uh, I was lucky if I had 25. And how old were you? Um, I turned 28 when I was in Vietnam. Yeah, it was all this time waiting to mm-hmm. to figure out how I was going to get into service. Yeah. You were
2: you were the seasoned old guy, you know, leading these youngsters, uh, uh, right? Uh, uh,
5: that is correct, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I guess let me ask you this. A common theme from people that I've talked to that served in Vietnam you know, especially towards the end of the war, the middle of the war as well was, you know, troop morale was never something that was incredibly high. I know that, you know, rampant drug use amongst our servicemen was something that, you know, and and fighting an enemy that you can't even see, like you mentioned, you know, to lose so many comrades around you. I mean, as somebody that was, you know, not just facing it yourself, but in charge of, you know, the, the mental health of so many young men, I mean, what was that like?
5: Well, I was very lucky I didn't have that problem. I could tell when I got to that platoon that these were were really well-adjusted people for being 19 and 20-year-olds. Uh, there was no serious drug use. Uh, the, the morale was really good. They all liked each other uh, and got along with each other. Uh, and I remember reading uh, right after I uh, – probably less than a week after I'd taken over uh, leadership of that platoon, and um, I was reading in a sports magazine – Uh, There was an interview with Joe Paterno, who was coach of Penn State at the time. And Penn State was predicted to be, you know, what a really, really good team, even for Penn State. They might win the national championship. And he said something like, you know, I think they're going to be okay if I don't overcoach them. Hmm. I said, I think I should not overcoach these guys because they already know what they're doing. And and it worked out fine. Yeah. I'm very lucky in this sense. Everybody that served in my platoon when I was platoon leader got back to this country alive and in one piece. And we were under fire over 50 times. Speaking yeah.
2: of getting back to the country, our guest this morning is uh, John Doyle. You know him as a former Jefferson County delegate, but he's also a Vietnam War veteran. Um, what was it like coming back?
1: Uh, <sighs> Well, let, let me ask you this: yeah. uh, a, a pastor I, I attended a church growing up said when he came back from Vietnam, they had to come back in civilian clothes uh, because of the reception they were going to uh, that get. That is correct. When they got off the plane, was uh, that oh, yeah, the same that, for you? That is correct. Can you talk about
5: yeah. that. Oh yeah, I got called a baby killer, got spat at. You know, that's uh, yeah. And and I chalk it up to what I called uh, uh, and still call uh, the the universal soldier syndrome. Uh, Buffy Saint Marie is an absolutely magnificent writer. I I don't know if she's still alive. But she had written a song called The Universal Soldier, which basically said war is the soldier's fault. And it's a beautifully written song, but just flat out wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Have you all heard
1: the song? I have not.
2: I think we're all going to be googling it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up <laughs> after the show. He's 5 sure. foot
5: 4, he's 6 feet 3. Fights with missiles and with spears. He's only 17 and he's all of 45. Been a soldier for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes on to say he fights for Canada, he fights for France, he fights for the USA. He, he, he thinks he, uh, he, he's the one who puts his body as a weapon of the war, and he thinks he'll put an end to war that way. But without him, how could Caesar, uh, 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 how could Hitler have condemned them at DeKalb? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. And it says he's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. That's the that's the basic line of the song, and that was permeating the thought of of our country at the time, uh, and and like I say, uh, I think Buffy Saint Marie's a beautiful writer, but she was just dead wrong.
2: Our guest this morning is John Doyle. Um, and so what was your what was your rank? Uh, lieutenant. You were lieutenant. Yeah. Uh, and served in the Vietnam War. Um, I'm sure you talked to other veterans you know in your time as uh, not only just as a veteran yourself but also uh as as a delegate um you know some some of them didn't weren't in platoons that everyone got out okay oh that's right Um, and you know so are we doing enough for folks in that generation um to recover no what needs to be done
5: uh more money how will that help well, it, you get need to get more money directly to the people who are suffering. There's too much, in my view, bureaucracy in between. It isn't so much more money thrown to the problem. You know, there's enough money being thrown at the problem that if it got where it was needed, it would work. It's, I, I just think we have to probably reorganize the distribution system with the PAC to put Act, it in a bureaucratic way, <laughs>
2: with the Pact Act having you know passed and, and presumably opening up the door for more, especially folks from the Vietnam era, yeah. um, who have been exposed or mm-hmm. may have been exposed or were in those conflicts and and didn't get their um, you know applications approved or to to the extent that maybe they could have, um, I mean, do you feel like that's you know a step in the right direction? Is it enough?
5: Well, it's certainly a step. Uh, we'll see if it's enough. Yeah,
1: there's been such a, a unique fallout, I think, as well from veterans that served in the war. A longtime friend of of my family uh, just passed away recently uh, due to dementia that he incurred from being a helicopter pilot and being exposed to Agent Orange. I mean, there's just uh, the way that veterans, I, I I feel as though, you know, growing up around World War II veterans and even, even more recently from the Middle East, it's 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 just almost a completely different world when you talk to somebody that went through uh, what you, you all went through in Vietnam, if that's a fair assessment.
5: Yeah. That's, uh, uh, I, I think uh, when I got there, I was amazed that all the jungles were brown year-round, and I didn't realza- realize it was because Agent Orange had defoliated them.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
5: Yeah. <laughs> the vines were still there. It was still thick as the dickens. But <laughs> they <right>. weren't green. <laughs> you,
2: you can you can choose not to answer this question if you don't want to. Our guest this morning, former Jefferson County delegate and Vietnam Vietnam War veteran John Doyle. Can you think back back to a time when you were the most afraid or or most concerned about your guys?
5: Well, those are two separate things. Uh, I was concerned about my guys all the time. I was always worried, uh, and so worried I didn't have time to be afraid. Only two times I was just absolutely, totally, terribly afraid, and those were the two times that my point man said, "Hey, I have no idea where we are." I said, "Okay, oh, wow. <laughs> I have to walk point," and and both was pitch black, and and I have been blessed all my life with really good night vision, uh, and uh, in fact, in in officer candidate school, they have a problem. Uh, where they just drop you off at dusk, and there's a point you have to get to, and they give you a map, and a light, and a compass, and you're supposed to show up at this point, and uh, and if you're not there by daybreak, they they send trucks out to find people. Uh, I, I don't know what time it was, but I got to. It was a guard. It was a guard shack. And I knocked on the door, and I hear this cursing. uh run run run. What? And the door opens and and there's this sergeant. I said, "Uh, uh, Sergeant, this is uh, a candidate Doyle. I was told I was supposed to come here. He goes, what? He says, you've broken the record. Wow! (laughs) for this night problem yeah, Uh, my night vision has always been really really good and so both times I was able to get us out of there but I was just scared as the dickens
1: (laughs) Uh, well sir uh, because we need to get to this last break unfortunately I do want to say thank you very much for giving us the time and of course thank you very much for your service
5: well you're welcome
1: (laughs) (laughs) we've got, got a break to take we'll wrap up the show after this more Panhandle Live in just a moment you're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM
0: Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs.
1: Final segment of Panhandle Live before we turn things over to the great Harvey Kirchhoffal at the top of the hour. Metro News Talk Line starting at ten oh six. Does he know
2: you call him that?
1: Uh no. Okay. No he does not. And I'd would like it to remain that way.
2: Would you would, would you get beaten up if he knew?
1: I don't know. He's <laughs> a he's a wiry guy. I have a feeling he's pretty scrappy, although He's a, he's a little bit diminutive in stature, but he it's makes up muscle. for that and, and just grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you missed any of our conversation uh, today with our guests from the Jefferson County Boys and Girls Club and the great work that they do, Stacey Roan and uh, Monica Addison, that's going to be posted along with uh, our interview, of course, with uh, former Jefferson County Delegate and Vietnam War veteran John Doyle on our uh, Panhandle Live Spotify page coming up here in just a couple of moments. But a fascinating conversation to be had with uh, John Doyle. I grew up in a church with a lot of... Of, of men who served in Vietnam and their stories were uh, always sometimes tough to hear, but always stories that needed to be heard.
2: And we'd love to tell some of those stories or hear some of them. So if you know a veteran that uh, would be willing to share that story, it doesn't have to necessarily be from Vietnam. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love to, to talk to you because uh, we can always make room for, for telling the Panhandle story.
1: Absolutely. Stay tuned for the news at the top of the hour and Metro News talk line that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Uh, it's been fun hanging out with you and coming back from a, uh, a really eventful weekend. I'm sure it's going to be another eventful week here along our family of stations. For Marsha, I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you tomorrow.